find in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. We have looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we looked at, um, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And today we'd like to look at the third one, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is uh, a mark of true discipleship. It's a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The general connotation of the, the word meek, that is what society in general thinks of when they hear the word meek, is quite different from the true meaning. And in fact, the connotation and the true meaning of meekness are both opposed to the natural man. We prefer to think of ourselves like the little boy. His mother called him her little lamb. He didn't like that. And finally one day he had heard it enough and just did all he could, and so he told her he did not want to be called her little lamb. He said, call me your little tiger. And that's the way a lot of us think. The world thinks in terms of strength, power, self-assurance, and aggressiveness. But as Christians, we're to have a different mindset. We're to have a different attitude. We're to be meek. There are some misconceptions about this word. We talked about the connotation at the society has about it. So let's notice some of the misconceptions. Meekness is not a spineless attitude. It's not a timid soul. It's not one willing to endure anything rather than to endure a disagreement. And because a person fails to resist something does not mean that he is necessarily meek. One is not meek who tolerates anything. Meekness is not the spirit of compromise or peace at any price. Nor is it the surrender of rights. Let me give you two Bible examples. In John 18, Jesus having been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's taken first to Annas, the high priest. Of course, his son-in-law Caiaphas is also called the high priest and was the official one. But Annas asked Jesus about his disciples and about uh, his teaching. He said, why ask me? I taught the same thing in the synagogues and in the temple to all the Jews. I didn't say anything secretly. Go and ask them. They know what I've said. And one of the officers of the high priest standing nearby struck Jesus and said, Why answerest thou the high priest so? And Jesus said, If I have said evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? And Jesus is meek. But he stood up to this man who had done the wrong thing to him. 
And we think also about the Apostle Paul, who was also a meek man. We remember in Philippi when he and Silas were beaten and put in prison. About midnight, there was this great earthquake, and then he had the opportunity to teach the Philippian jailer and his family, convert them. Then the next morning, the magistrates who had sentenced them to prison sent some sergeants around to dismiss them, let them go on. And Paul said, We were uncondemned, we were beaten, we were Roman citizens, and we were put in prison, and now they want to send us away privily, that is, secretly. You tell them to come and uh, to bring us out for themselves. So it's not a surrender necessarily of rights, though a Christian must sometimes surrender rights. But we're talking about meekness that shall inherit the earth. One way to determine meanings is to see how that word has been used elsewhere. And we'd like to look at three examples. Aristotle was a Greek philosopher. He certainly knew his Greek. And he defined the word that's rendered meek here as the happy medium between two extremes. Excessive anger and excessive angerless. And thus, you might say a paraphrase, at least a partial paraphrase of this verse, might go like this. Blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and is never angry at the wrong time, according to this definition or partial definition of the word. One day Jesus came into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and I assume he did every Sabbath. But in this particular event, there was a man in the audience who had a withered hand. And the Jews taught that it was wrong to do any work, even heal, on the Sabbath. And Jesus saw him, and he knew the men were there watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And so he said to the man with the withered hand, step forth. And then he asked the question, of all of them who were there. Knowing what was in the heart of these people, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Well, they didn't answer. Jesus is drawing a contrast between their intentions and their heart condition and what he was doing and plan to do. Is it wrong to do good? I'm going to heal this man. But you want to harm me. Is it wrong to give life or to kill? They wanted to kill him. So actually the question was put to them concerning their thoughts and attitude toward him. Well, he healed the man. And then it says in verse 5, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, Jesus was angry. He looked round about upon them with anger, and this is why, being grieved at the hardening of their heart, and he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And then notice verse 6. And the Pharisees went out and straightway with the Herodians, took counsel against him, how they might destroy him. So Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Jesus had anger. 
but he had the right kind of anger, being a meek man. We remember that Paul said uh, in Ephesians 5, 26, Be angry and sin not. And so whether we have anger and sin or not sin depends upon our motivation, does it not? If I get angry because of some personal insult or some personal injury, then that's a sin. Anger becomes a sin when it's from the wrong motive. So blessed is a man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Now here's another example, another standard Greek usage of the word. It was used for an animal that had been domesticated. That animal is meek. He's been trained to obey command, or the word of command. The word for an animal that had learned to accept control. Like, you know, you say to your dog, sit, or heal. I read in the Reader's Digest, I think, man was in the hospital and he was unhappy there. And he was complaining about being there. And he said, they treat you here in this hospital like a dog. And the orderly was standing right by him. He heard him. He said, now, Mr. Jones, that's not true. Uh, now, roll over. <laughs> that really didn't have much to say about this. But it's talking about a meek person is one who's in control. And it was used of animals who learned to accept control. Blessed is the man. Here's another part of a paraphrase. Blessed is the man who has every instinct like these dogs that are trained, every impulse and every passion under control. Blessed is the man who is entirely self-controlled. Now, self-control is listed a part of the, as a part of the uh, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But we understand when it says self-control that that's not possible without God control. So meekness involves self-control, having every instinct, impulse, and passion under our control or God's control. Here's a third use of the word that's translated meek. The word is also used in relationship to humility. Uh, the necessity to learn and to be forgiving. One Roman teacher of oratory, his name was Quintilian, said of certain of his students, they would, be, they would no doubt be excellent students if they were not already convinced of their own knowledge. His students, or some of them, lacked the humility of meekness. And so here again is another part of our paraphrase. Blessed is a man who has the humility to know his own ignorance, his own weakness, and his own need. Now let's put these three paraphrases into one big one. Blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct and impulse and passion under control because he himself is God-controlled, who has the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness 
For such a man is a man among men, a king among men. Let me give you two more examples of meekness found in the Bible. First, let's look at Moses. When we turn to Numbers chapter 12, Moses is described in verse 3 as the most meek man on the earth. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. So of what did the meekness of Moses consist? Well, one thing, it was not in the absence of temper, but in the control of it. You know, not being angry at the wrong time, but being angry at the right time. It's in the control of one's temper. We remember in number 16, there was Korah, Abiram, Dothan, and, uh, and on, and about 250 princes of the people. And they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. They said, we're Levites as well as you, and you've taken upon yourself too much authority. Well, how did Moses respond to that, being a meek man as he was? Well, in verse 15 of chapter 16, it says, Moses was very wroth. His temper heated up. And he said unto Jehovah, Respect not them that they're offering. I have not taken from them, neither have I hurt one of them. In other words, he was angry. But he turned his anger over to the Lord and let him take care of it. He was able to control his temper. He was meek. Also, it was not in his timidity, but in his aggressive leadership. The Lord said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the sovereign over all of Egypt, and demand that he let your people go, my people. And so time after time, Moses stood up before Pharaoh, demanding, let my people go. And he was a meek man. Also we see in his meekness, his forbearance. In the face of those who opposed him. In Numbers 12, we read about how his sister Miriam, his brother Aaron, I guess you might say were jealous. Their first complaint was about the woman that Moses had married, this Cushite woman. But when they got down to the real issue, it was that God was speaking to Moses as though Moses was taking upon himself too much authority. Well, Moses had God on his side. And God said, when I speak to the prophets, I speak to them in dreams and in visions. But when I speak to Moses, I speak to him mouth to mouth. I'm on Moses' side because he's on my side. And then God struck Miriam with leprosy. And what does Moses do in his meekness? He intercedes. He doesn't say, now Miriam, that's what you get. He interceded for her to God. And God responded and healed Miriam. Moses was a meek man in his forbearance and also in his submission. Without complaint to God's plan. With only one exception. Moses subordinated his wishes to the will of God. 
This is meekness, submission, forbearance, leadership, and also the control of one's temper. Look at Jesus as another example. In Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, which is humility. And ye shall find rest unto your soul. A part of Jesus' meekness, we ask, in what did Jesus' meekness consist? It was his approachability. He was inviting all these people to come to him. Everybody that labors and are heavy laden, come unto me. His attitude was such that they were not afraid to come to him. He was approachable. He was not harsh, but gentle toward the fallen. In John 8, we read about the woman who was brought to Jesus while he was teaching in the temple. Now, what does Moses say we ought to do with this woman who was taken in adultery? Well, he writes on the sand. He tells the first who has no sin to cast the stone or cast the first stone. And they all leave. And finally, he raises up and he said, did no man condemn thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Henceforth. Go and sin no more. He was very gentle and meek concerning her and telling her to sin no more. One other example is that he yielded to God's will. He suffered and he died. He was mistreated. He was not vengeful. He was forgiving, Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he followed the Lord's will, even though it brought him to his death. He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Well, what was the promise that Jesus made to those who are meek? They shall inherit the earth. And I think we all recognize that this does not refer to inheriting real estate the earth. In Psalm 37, we find that expression four different times. So it must be understood as inheriting, receiving blessings and of a spiritual nature. It was A.M. Hunter who renders this verse, how blessed are the gentle ones. They shall have a share in Messiah's kingdom. The Lord said in these Beatitudes, the first one, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are ye that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here again, he's speaking about inheriting the earth, perhaps sharing in the Messiah's kingdom. The meek shall come into the real enjoyment of the things of God. They have a great spiritual capacity for enjoyment. They shall inherit the earth, meaning they shall be content. Listen to this statement. Contentment gives them riches in the fewness of their wants. Contentment 
gives them riches in the fewness of their wants. I mean, the more the wants I have and don't get them satisfied, the less content I'm going to be. But the fewer the wants I have, the more content I'm going to be. Contentment gives them riches in the fewness of their wants. The real enjoyment of earthly blessings belongs not to those who grasp for them and assert and maintain with vehemence their right to them, but to those who hold them lightly, who rank material possessions inferior to spiritual blessings, who are not burdened by these material blessings while they possess them, they are not vexed or worried by the fear of losing earthly possessions. Selfish people may possess the earth, but it's the meek alone who inherit the real blessings of this earth and of the spiritual kingdom. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 11, I have, I have learned to be content in whatsoever state I am. And we can learn to be content and grow in meekness. Meekness is a basic nature of the Christian life. Let's notice four ways that we are to practice meekness. One is in James 1.21, we are to receive the word with meekness. Receive the word with meekness, which is able to, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now this was addressed to Christians. It was addressed to you and to me. We're Christians, but we're yet to receive the implanted word with meekness. Because it can save our souls. A meek person knows his own ignorance, is humble enough to know what he does not know, and has an open mind to the truth. That's a part of being meek. Secondly, in Galatians 6, 1, let us be meek in restoring the erring, in exercising discipline that we have to do sometimes in the church, and in correcting the faults of others. Correction can be given in a way, a wrong way, which is entirely discouraging to a man and might drive him even to depression or despair. But correction can be given in a way that sets a man on his feet with a determination to do better and with a hope of doing better. Meekness is that spirit that makes correction a stimulant and not a depressant. A means to hope and not a cause of despair. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 4, we have an excellent example of Paul and how he dealt with the problem in the church in Corinth. He had to write him in a letter. He said, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be made sorry, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Now, that's the way a man who's meek deals with those who need to be corrected. And then, thirdly, let us be meek as we meet opposition. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, and 26, we learn how we're to deal with those who oppose themselves. And the Lord's servant must not strive, but be gentle towards all, apt to teach, 
forbearing in meekness, correcting them that oppose themselves, if peradventure God may give them repentance under the knowledge of the truth, and they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him unto his will. So the person who's meek is not going to strive. He's going to be gentle. He's going to be forbearing. He's going to be teaching. And he's going to be meek as he tries to correct. So in talking with those we disagree with, who differ with us, and we think who are mistaken, those, uh, the manner that we approach them will make a lot of difference. Let's suppose that some bitterly cold day we go into a room and there's ice on the inside of the window pane. Now there are two things that we can do. One, we may try to rub on the ice or to rub it away on the inside, but the only result will be that the harder we rub, the quicker the ice will reform. And two, we might light a fire and let the warmth of the fire melt the ice on the window, and the window will then clear itself. Warmth will do what friction will not do. In dealing with those we believe in error, meekness will do what fighting will never do. And our fourth application, let us be meek in reciting reasons for our hope. In 1 Peter 3 and 15, Peter said, Sanctify Christ in your hearts, being ready always to give answer to any man concerning the faith or the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear, with meekness and respect, Talking about Jesus with a spirit of gentleness and meekness is more effective than the, discour the discourteous kind of teaching that, to ram, try, that tries to ram its opinions down somebody's throat. Christian teaching must be winsome as well as gentle and sound and strong. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have a song of invitation we wish to sing to encourage any who need to obey the gospel to do that, to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and to repent of all your sins, to be buried in baptism for the remission of your sins. And if there's one here who needs to come forward asking for the prayers of the church, for any help, we stand ready to assist. Shall we? Stand and sing.